What's it take to go from zero to IPO? I asked Mark, the founder of Braze, and he told me they weren't initially doing what the company's doing now. How do you know to make the right pivot? And then once we got the, the product and a few of our design partners, the feedback that we were getting immediately was, I love the data, I love the concept of messaging, but I really don't want my customers checking into my app. I don't want, I don't even want them to know you're in there. When I heard that from a bunch of customers, I, I clearly remember this day, I was looking at John, we were working out of WeWork at the time, and I turned around and I'm like, look, all our customers want to know who their users are. Let's create like literally an address book or a glossary, whatever you want to call it, of all our users. Let's allow the customers to, or our customers to then segment those users based on where they are, how often they're coming into the app, if they made a purchase, and then allow them to message against that data. Uh, and John looked at me like, you mean CRM for apps? And I had no idea what CRM was. I had to go Google the acronym and I was like, yeah, whatever CRM is, that's what we need to build. Like this is where it's going. That's the moment that we all want to get to, but you have to get the product in their hands. You got to be willing to listen and you got to take that feedback and actually implement it. And you got to know what feedback to ignore. There is nothing like that instant, that moment where you look back and you just connect the dots. It's it's usually not what the customer is telling you to do. You're reading through what they're actually saying. It's a wonderful episode. He goes into a bunch more examples of how he makes product decisions and the whole the full story of going from zero to IPO. Boom. Hey, welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, former founder and VC. I now work at Zendesk for Startups where we offer six months free use of Zendesk for qualified high growth companies. Mark, it's great to have you on Sit Down Startup. First, just tell us about how big your company is. Everything I'm sharing is, is public information. I don't, I don't have any confidential information because I'm, I'm not there anymore. But um, but yeah, I think uh, Braze is now over 350 million AR. Um, over 1,200 employees, offices around the world. Um, actually, our second largest office is in London um, and uh, headquartered in New York. Um, so it's super special seeing a company that's over 300 million AR, um, probably even closer to 400 or over 400 million AR at this point too, um, and continuing to grow uh, at the numbers we're seeing in, in the reports that they're putting out on a quarter-by-quarter -quarter basis. When you first founded Braze, what was it doing at that time? Yeah, and, and um, Braze was formerly called AppBoy. Um, and uh, the story goes back as far as um, 2008, 2009, when it was just me. Um, and I bought the domain on GoDaddy for $8.99. Um, and I think that was the time when everyone was trying to have the name App in their company name. And there's app candy. I remember that being available. Then I came across app boy. I'm like, okay, well, let's just grab that. Um, and the premise of when I started it was, um, how do we build a platform that connects the developer of apps and the users of apps? Um, I just remember seeing Steve jobs talk about apps and how they're coming up with iPhones and the first generation of the iPhones are out at that time, maybe even close to the second generation. Um, and I was like, wow, this is going to get really crazy with the apps. Um, so I want to create that bridge. So in my mind, that bridge to start was originally just a website. Like I just created a website where developers of apps can join, users of apps can join. And if the user flags that they're using a certain app and the developer flags that they developed a certain app, it would connect them in, in almost like a Tinder-like experience. Um, but that was all on desktop. And I was like, you know what? This isn't like going to be as massive. It's kind of cool. 
Um, so then I started reading about SDKs. I'm like, oh, actually, I, I could actually build software that goes into apps. Um, and once we started, I started building that with a few contractors. Um, I started thinking about, okay, like how do we get data to these developers around who's using their apps? Um, and then I thought of this concept of like checking into an app. Like, I, I don't know if you remember Foursquare, um, but people were checking into restaurants and sh on social sharing where they are and the restaurants and venues loved it because it would create awareness for their, for the mom and mom and pop businesses. Um, so for me, it was like all the rage when apps came out was um, discovery of apps. And, and I was like, okay, maybe people will check in and that will help the app with discovery. But behind the scenes, I'm giving the data to the developer who the who their top users are and i'm allowing them to message their um customers so if you hear what i'm saying between the lines like i'm i'm allowing customers to come in giving data to the customers and allowing them to message their customers um so i worked on that for a couple of years myself i actually was living in houston at the time um and then uh the story is that I heard about South by, and that's where people go with big ideas and potentially you could meet angel investors. So I drove from Houston to Austin um, and just walking around asking people if they know any angel investors and know people um, and eventually met Alex Lloyd um, with Accelerator Ventures at the time. And uh, we connected and he immediately committed to coming in as an angel. I was trying to raise a million dollars. And once I got that first commitment, that was kind of the domino effect with helping me find a lead um, who at that time ended up being Blumberg Capital. Um, and then you had Blumberg, we had Accelerator, we had Metamorphic Ventures in New York, who I, I don't know if they're around anymore, but Mark Michelle um, and then Bullpen. Um, and eventually we put a million dollar round together um, at a four million post. <laughs> so it was just me uh, after two years of working on this thing. Um, I would take that all day. Like I, I just like, I was like, wow, I got a million dollars on, on something that I never knew I could actually make into something. Um, and then I moved to back to New York in January of 2012. Um, and in between securing the seed round and, and me moving in was when I met my co-founders, John and Bill, um, and credit to uh, my mentor and good friend, Bipul Sinha who is um, the co-founder and CEO of Rubrik, um, another billion plus company, um, awesome person, but he met John and Bill on, on, a, on a street corner. They were going to TechCrunch Disrupt. Um, literally like John, I think was on his phone and Bill was just standing there and Bill was like, hey, what do you guys do? And they're like, oh, we just won TechCrunch Hankathon. Like, oh, cool. So you, you should connect with my friend, Mark. He just closed a seed um, and he's building something cool. Um, and I just started to ping Bill after Bill Bipple made the intro and eventually we met um, and uh, they joined and we started building. Um, so that's kind of how it started from like two years by myself, getting the seed, about six months later, meeting my co-founders, Bill and John, who Bill is now the CEO, John's the CTO. Um, and without those two guys, um, I, I don't think we would have been able to make raise what it is to, it is today but it's just kind of like i believe in grit creates luck um and this is a pure example of like i was on linkedin like spamming every person that had any engineering background to be a cto and partner for me 
Um, every person I spoke to, I'm like, do you know co-founders? Do you know any co-founders? Just like, if you know anyone, please let me know, let me know. And, and you have to do that just to stay top of mind. And it worked because you saw these two guys on a street corner who eventually became my co-founders at Braze. When you were at the seed round, listening to customers, how many of those customers that gave you feedback were actually paying you? We didn't, we didn't have any customers, but we had a lot of developers sign up um, for the SDK on the check-in side. Like they wanted it pre-release. Like it was almost like a waiting list. And we had some really cool brands that signed up. Um, and then after John and Bill joined, um, they kind of took over everything from the con contractors that I was working with um, and started like developing it. And then once we got the, the product and a few of our design partners, the feedback that we were getting immediately was, I love, I love the data. I love the concept of messaging, um, but I really don't want my customers checking into my app and I don't want, I don't even want them to know you're in there. Like, I don't want that stuff. And when I heard that from a bunch of customers, I, I clearly remember this day, I was looking at John, we were working out of WeWork at the time. And I turned around and I'm like, look, all our customers want to know who their users are. Let's create like literally an address book or a glossary, whatever you want to call it, of all our users. Let's allow the customers to or our customers to then segment those users based on where they are, how often they're coming into the app, if they made a purchase, um, when's the last time they came in, and then allow them to message against that data across push, across email, in-app messaging. Uh, and John looked at me like, you mean CRM for apps? I'm like, I had no idea what CRM was. I, I had to go Google the acronym. Um, and I was like, yeah, whatever CRM is, that's what we need to build. Like, this is where it's going. Um, and then we just went heads down and started building that. Um, so we didn't have much traction. That's amazing. That, that, that moment is, yeah. Yeah, that moment was the light bulb was, moment. It was like, just kind of like, but we had to go through the motions to get there, right? Um, and, I, and it was a true evolution of the product Um because the premise, remember the premise of what we want, what I wanted to build when I started AppBoy was build the bridge between the users and the developers of apps um, and figure out how we can create that relationship between the two. And it's slowly just through continuous iteration and listening to the feedback of our design partners and the people in the market was this is what I want. The problem was to answer your question, like what was, how far along were we? Um, we raised the million. The market wasn't really ready for retention, a retention lifecycle CRM platform. They, they really wanted an analytics platform. So at the time, Mixpanel was, was like the hottest company at the time. Localytics and Mixpanel were just like head to head. Um, and then you had attribution and, and platforms. So it was all about um, analytics and customer acquisition. But if you think about it, the next pillar of that cycle was retention. But I think the market hasn't didn't go through everything to realize that like holy cow i just spent all this money acquiring these customers and i have none of them left in my app like what the hell's going on um i remember conversations where customers were like we don't need you we have mixed panel and, and we were just spending money acquiring customers like what do i need you for i'm like well what about all the customers you just bought like they're all leaving you need to retain them and we can do that for you um there was just this one day like two years after building after our seed where the market just shifted and we were just so focused on building the best in class 
lifecycle mark like lifecycle marketing platform for mobile that no one else had a better product than us. So when that when that when that when the market turned a corner. I love it. Can you tell us about one of the most successful channels you had in the early days? At the time, it was just people simply using it. We didn't really start charging till we built the CRM and lifecycle marketing platform. And even that took a couple of years for us to get our first paying customer. It was text plus $8,000 a month, um, which I think was an awesome contract to get signed. It was just shy of $100,000. Uh, when I saw that, I was like, you know what? If people are willing to pay us $100,000 for this, this is going to be a massive business. Like it... Because there's 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 no price you could put on retaining your customers that you just spent money acquiring. Like your best customers are the ones that you already got, and the, you should be spending money on keeping them retained and keeping them happy. So any marketer would there's no there's no value on that, right? It, it's it's endless, uh, it's priceless. So to me, we hit a we hit a gold mine when I saw that, and as soon as I started seeing that we're we had product market fit. We understood how to sell this into the market. We understood who our core ICP was and our mark, our customer was. Um, we started signing big deals. I was like, you know what? We hit a million AR. Then we hit two million AR. Then I hit three million. I'm like, wow. And then we started seeing our retention and our churn. And our churn wasn't where was very low. And we saw renewals come in. I was like, wow. That's when I started appreciating SaaS as a business. I was like, this can compound very quickly. Um, and that's when I just, I started getting more and more excited about what we were building. That seems like a unique strategy. Is there any other advice you'd give to a founder who's trying to take a similar approach? Typically you, what you see when you building a SaaS business, you have the fast adopters and those are typically the ones that are just always want the next shiny technology that they can use and play with. Um, and those are your best first customers because they're willing to listen to you. They're willing to try it out. They're willing to give you feedback. They're willing to know that maybe it's not perfect and there's going to be some bugs. So we, we identified those as like digital first customers, right? Like who are all like the, 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 the brands that had successful apps, like the Tinders of the world, the, the Spotify's of the world, um, um, less the, the enterprise customers that would quickly follow those customers. So th those were the customers that we focused on immediately. Um, I think we made a massive decision that I think was very impactful for our business was we didn't focus on the shiny new startups that just got funding. Um, we focused on the mobile titans is what we called them, right? The ones that were like breaking walls and growing quickly um, because I think we, we, we were afraid that the earlier ones didn't really have the resources or didn't really appreciate what CRM was and retention marketing. And the big guys, they're growing. They understood that, holy cow, we're getting all these people to come in and download our app. We need to retain them. They also have real businesses that are making money. Um, they're not just just like a, a, all the apps that you saw in the early days starting up a flashlight app, for example. And there's no real business around a flashlight app. Um, so once we started getting those fast mobile titans and digital native apps to come in and take us, we started getting the enterprise. Um, and and that that really worked out for us. And I think it was a big decision for us to like completely ignore the long tail, completely ignore the smaller businesses at the time and focus on the larger ones. And I think that was a big defining moment for us. That seems like a unique strategy. Is there any other advice you'd give to a founder who's trying to take a similar approach? I think um, like a lot of times now when I talk to founders, um, they want to be something to everybody. And I think a lot of times they don't appreciate what it means if you're 
servicing long tail yeah. and mid-market versus enterprise, right? The DNA of your company is very different if you're servicing pure enterprise. What and what does the DNA mean? The DNA of your sales team, right? The people selling into enterprise are very different than people selling into long tail. The customer success team is very different. Your content on your blog is very different. Your documentation is different. The requirements are different. So the whole thing is like completely different in terms of going after long tail mid market. So I think a lot of times, um, and, and the same is true if you went after long tail, right? So I think a lot of times founders in the early days need to really decide where do we want to start? Do we want to go long tail? mid-market or enterprise. Um, and then sometimes maybe even a specific vertical within those too, right? Um, I was just looking at a startup and the slide on there, one of the slides was, we're going after the service industry. And then we're also going after companies that have over 2 million in revenue. And we're also going after companies that have over hundred million in revenue. So I'm like, there's a big difference here between companies that have over 2 million and over hundred million. And there's a completely different business in servicing companies that are in the service business, like you got to pick one. Um, and I think it was kind of interesting for that founder to hear that feedback. Cause I think they thought like coming into an investor and showing that, that we could be something to everybody would be really awesome to me as a founder. Like, wow, that massive market. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I want to see you like really focused on like who your ICP is here um, that you want to start with, because that's going to define who you're going to hire, the content strategy, how you're going to support them, and how you're going to build a real business. And once you get that, then we can start thinking about other verticals and other customers that you want to go after. Did you A-B test that to make that decision, or did you just take a gut feel? The credit, I, I wouldn't say it was me or even my founders. I would say it was Miles um, Klieger, who today is the president um, and chief customer officer. Um, he was at that time, he was our CRO. Um, he came in um, and he quickly identified, like, look, we don't. We shouldn't be wasting our time with the long tail right now. Um, let our competitors go service the hot startup that just raised five million dollars, and let them let them like toot their horn that they got that one. We're going to go directly for the mobile titans. That's what he called it, and the enterprise. And we're going to build a sales team for the mobile titans, and we're going to build a separate sales team that's focused on the true enterprise. Um, that was like, I, and I trusted him. I'm like, you know what? this makes sense to me. And believe me, I was always looking at my competitors signing like these really hot startups. And it was like burning me up inside. Like, why can't we do that? Um, and uh, I think just patience paid off. What's your superpower as a founder? As a founder, my superpower is persistence. Um, I'm known to be extremely persistent. Um, and uh, when I really believe something, I go for it and I go all in. Um, whether that has to do with a sale on sales side, hiring, um, um, raising funds, um, even just, uh, I'll throw it out there, but um, Doug Pepper, who led our Series B, um, he was the InterWest at the time. He's now um, uh, the GP at, at Iconic Growth. Um, I met him right after we closed our seed, kept in touch with him for a couple of years. Um, he did not, did not want to invest in this deal. And I continuously stayed on him just saying, I'm like, look, like this is what we're building. We know we're the unknown because there were others that Sequoia invested in another company, Kleiner invested in another company. And he was looking at one of those. Um, and I just said, look, talk to our customers and you'll see why. And I think the persistence of like staying on top of him to get that funding from him for our series B was massive. And now, now he's a good friend of mine and a mentor of mine as well. 
Um, and the same goes with Miles Klieger, who we just spoke about. Getting him on board to come and join us was another sequence of persistence and goes back to our first comment that grit really creates luck. Um, and I think for, for all founders out there, I would say, remember why you started your company. Um, keep that persistence and that grit going because it's hard. There's a lot of down days and maybe more down days than good days. Um, but you have to have that long-term vision of what you're building. You're not building for tomorrow. You're building for two years from now, three years from now, four years from now. Braze was 12 years in the making for me. Um, and I think a lot of times people don't appreciate that journey as a whole. They kind of look at just the IPO and like, wow, that guy's so lucky. Look what happened. Look what happened. But that was 12 years in the making. Mark, this is amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for Startups and our free offer, please check out our website at zendesk.com startups.